Federal spending today is five times what it was back in 1960. But the number of people that are supposed to manage and oversee that money, that's stayed about the same over the past 50 years. Now the Senior Executives Association has painted a grim picture. Today's federal workforce, it says, is too stressed, overworked, and ill-prepared to handle the next major emergency. Greg Treverton is one of the report's authors. He's a former chairman of the National Intelligence Council, now teaching at the University of Southern California. He tells Federal News Network's Nicola Grisco how the role of the average federal employee has evolved over the past 50 years. The federal workforce really is hardly expanded at all in 50 years. Meanwhile, the amount of money the government spends in real terms is quintupled, right? So it's five times as much money being spent by the same number of people. And that's meant that increasingly the federal workforce is in the business of overseeing contracts, overseeing contractors. When I was managing the National Intelligence Council, like every other intelligence agency and most others, basically I had 100 govies and 50 contractors. And it was you know, impossible not to, in some sense, break the law that says contractors aren't supposed to do government-like jobs. I couldn't get the work done otherwise. So, so I didn't even know who was a govy and who was a contractor. So the workforce had become much more in the business of overseeing contracts and overseeing grants, not actually doing the work themselves simply because the volume is so big. I was also struck by the idea that really, in many cases, digital technology hasn't necessarily helped the federal workforce accomplish its mission maybe any more than we might expect it would. You know, the report talks about the stress factor, that federal employees are are stressed out. If anything, digital technologies just enhances that only a little bit more. Can you tell me about some of maybe the anecdotes that you heard from the focus groups, particularly on that question? Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. It, it's fair to say that you know, since, since we have this strange way of budgeting things, often operating on a continual resolution, always doing just one-year budgets, it's hard for any federal agency to plan a serious modernization program over time. So it's probably the case that modernization in some of the ways that could be done has been slow. You know, I remember the State Department continued to use wangs after most wangs had gone to a graveyard somewhere. And I watched the FBI try and update its IT system all in one go. Great failure. So, you know, it is the case probably that the federal government has been slower than it should have been for reasons partly of its own doing, but partly also because of the way budgeting and congressional oversight happens, that it hasn't modernized as it can. The other point that we want to make, and I think we do make in the report, is that you know, it's not as though the government, the government's mostly providing services, most of which require several departments to cooperate, require reaching out to states and localities. And that's, I think, inevitably a harder process to automate, you know, manufacturing, for instance. So I would say that the out-of-dateness of some government processes is partly a factor of the government and the constraints on it, but it's also partly a factor of the nature of government work and providing government services. What we found in the interviews was really pretty alarming. We heard again and again about how toxic workplaces have gotten, particularly for women, but not just. We heard stories of complaint channels being in effect weaponized, with complaint channels turned into sort of vendettas, often ruining careers. The old difficulty, but one I know because I've been on both sides of it, of, of trust between political appointees and the senior civil service, which has always been around. But in my time, 20 years ago, uh, when I was a political appointee, I was suspicious of the of these permanent folks. 
But that really only lasted for me about two days. <laughs> I realized at first that on day one, I realized that I couldn't get anything done without them. Nothing would go anywhere. And on day two, I realized, yeah, they really were actually patriotic Americans who might have the opposition party's bumper sticker on their cars, but were basically loyal to the country and the government. That seems to have changed. It seems like now that's, that relationship is often irreparable, that if you work for the other guys and gals, you never get trusted by the incoming team. So we heard, heard a lot about those kinds of issues. And we also heard that there's the offshoot of that, that people were basically afraid to take a decision, senior civil servants, permanent government, because they were afraid if that decision were wrong in the eyes of their political superior, that would be a career-ending mistake. So this reluctance to take decision was another piece of what we found. You all also talk about a variety of different stress tests, which some, you know, seem very plausible considering, you know, recent events, but others just seem kind of scary, quite frankly. Was there a particular scenario that, that kind of was there a particular scenario that you think really made you stop and think about whether or not the federal workforce is prepared to respond and, and meet some of those demands? We, as you, as you see from the list of our stress tests, they do, as you say, range from imminently plausible to more unlikely, but still not out of the question. We try to confine ourselves to things we could imagine actually happening in the next couple of years. And then we started with things we thought were pretty likely to happen in the next year or so. We tried to confine ourselves a bit that way. I think we tended to obviously focus most on the, the crises that fell in our respective experiences. So for me, I imagine, I think put this in the court, imagine if we had serious nuclear negotiations going on with both Iran and North Korea at the same time, I think given the loss of people in the State Department, it would be very difficult for us to do that. Government just have difficulty technically doing it. And then we all imagined the, the all too likely possibility of major disasters happening with wildfires burning in my state, California, coupled with floods in the southeast, coupled with tornadoes in the Midwest, which is altogether too possible. Imagine could the government actually cope in those circumstances. I think we would have liked to have done some de detailed looks at some of those um, scenarios, maybe even done some tabletop gaming. We just didn't have, have given time and resources the ability to do that. So we set them out mostly as thought experiments, illustrations of, of concerns we have, things that are altogether too plausible uh, that would at least severely test the capacity of the government to respond. As far as some of the conclusions and recommendations go in the report, I mean, in reading them from my perspective, I saw that the report summarized a lot of things that we've already been hearing. We need to relook at how we hire people, for example. We need to review the civil service system more broadly, the general schedule. But at the same time, I couldn't help but think that you know many of those re recommendations address things that we've been talking about for years that you've probably been familiar with when you were in government, but we still haven't really addressed them yet. I, I wonder from your perspective, I mean, particularly what this report is recommending. Yeah, it's a very good question. We wrestled that a lot. And you're right, there's been an awful lot of good work. And people who have done that good work happily were very enthusiastic about our work. Because I thought, you know, we've been wrestling with these problems in many cases for 20 years. And maybe you have a new take on them, at least a new sense of urgency about them, which is what we were trying to do. 
So um, I think of a lot of things on the agenda out there would be great to do. We haven't been able to do them in the last 20 years. Indeed, in things I know more about, like IPAs, intergovernment personnel agreements, which ought to be a nice way to bring people in from the private sector. That's gotten, at least in my experience, harder and harder, not easier and easier. So there's a good menu of, of things to do out there if the will were there. That's why we really end with the kind of question we do, which is, you know, in some sense, what we'd like to do is touch off a serious national conversation about what kind of government we do want. Are we happy with one that's sort of second rate, that finds it hard to attract and retain people, that does risk failing? Uh, you know, we've seen that in Katrina and other places. We've seen it fail, so it's not just a hypothetical. We want it. Are we happy enough with a government like that, or do we want something better? In that sense, it seems to me what we hope we could do is set off a, a national conversation that really hasn't happened. That was our main purpose, I think. Greg Treverton, an author of the Senior Executives Association's recent report and former chairman of the National Intelligence Council, speaking with Federal News Network's Nicola Grisco. Check out Nicole's story at federalnewsnetwork.com.